So thankful that you're here for the Christmas season. Love the month of December. I hope if you're our guest this morning, you've picked up on some things that this is a loving place and this is a place that loves to worship. You also may have picked up the easiest way to get a laugh is to make fun of the preacher. That's just the easiest thing. And Nathan actually got it wrong. When Santos and I met, my commitment to him was to help him spiritually and physically. You should have seen how scrawny he was before he worked out with me. It was, it was pretty pitiful, all right? If you believe that, you'll believe anything. Well, oh, this morning, um, I've got this promise that some of you asked me about last Sunday to myself or a commitment that on the Sunday after the Alabama-Auburn game, I don't talk about it, okay? Unless... Auburn wins, then it's okay. But I don't have that commitment two weeks later, okay? And so this morning, I think you'll both appreciate what I'm doing, whatever side of the spectrum you are. First of all, let's just show this picture. I think it's pretty amazing that 10 years apart, this greatest rivalry in college football, there are these improbable plays. You got the kick six, you've got what's now called fourth and forever, and the, the percentage of those happening are almost minuscule, nothing. But what I'm really more interested in looking at this morning is not the plays, but actually our response. And the next slide shows an Auburn player on the left when the kick six is going on, an Alabama player on the right. Any of you Auburn folks, how many of you remember your reaction at kick six? Anybody embarrassed? You know, I, mean, I think about our reaction last Saturday and how crazy we go. I actually think about my, my dear mother, late mother's reaction after kick six. I remember running to her in the kitchen, she said, after she said, what are we going to do with our lives? I mean, it was just, it was just like life, life was over. And so I have to confess, first of all, I'm a little embarrassed that we get so hyped up about it. But I was thinking this week about our theme today, which is wonderful. And here's some of the words that represent wonderful, unexpected, astonishing, breathtaking. And I think all of us will look back on those days if you're a big football fan and go, that's what was going on and we just responded. But this morning I want to say, how in the world is it possible for us to respond so wholeheartedly to a football game that really doesn't matter And then we come to the birth of Jesus, and many of us, I'll confess, have lost the wonder. You know, we we, we look at December or something, we got to make it through. It's sort of miserable. There's too much going on. And and this, this month, my goal is for you and I to catch the wonder of the season. Because if we catch this wonder, it will change everything. It'll be our response. Now, many people through the years have tried to capture this wonder. St. Augustine in the third century said, He it is by whom all things are made, was made one of all things. The maker of the sun was under the sun. The author of the heavens was on the earth born under the heavens. He was utterly wise in his wisdom, and yet as a baby he was utterly quiet. Charles Wesley, famous preacher in the 18th century, said, you probably heard this song before. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hell the incarnate deity. Please the man with us to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. The great scholar of the 20th century, C.S. Lewis said, in our world a stable once had something bigger than the world. 
And then a recent poet named Lucy Shaw puts herself in Mary's place and writes these words. Quiet he lies whose vigor hurled a universe. He sleeps whose eyelids have never, eyelids have never been closed before. Older than eternity, now he is new. Now native to the earth, Mary says, as I am. Nailed to my poor planet, caught that I might be free. Blind in my womb to know my darkness ended. Brought to this birth for me to be newborn and for him to be mended. His mother says, I must see him torn. We try to catch this wonder. But I want you to know this morning, if I could turn to a place where I think the author catches the wonder the greatest, would be the, the birth story we don't normally look at. Matthew and Luke are absolutely awesome in the details of the who, what, when, and where. But it's the Gospel of John who takes the birth story and makes it so cosmic, so big, so wondrous. So I want you to turn in your Bible or look on the screen or go to your phone to John chapter 1. This is this passage we're going to be studying the next four weeks. And out of reverence for this amazing passage, please stand. I remind you that this was written by Jesus' best friend on this earth, John, who was a fisherman who turns poet. Most people think this was a song the early church sang, listen and stand in wonder. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a true witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who himself is God and it is in the closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. Please be seated. What an incredible, wondrous story. And I want to make two points about what is so wonderful about these first few verses. First of all, I want to talk about the wonder of the name. 
If you're reading here and you don't know a lot about Christianity, you might even go, who's he talking about? Well, the word is the name he gives for Jesus. And even if you're familiar with Christianity, you think, well, that's a sort of weird way to describe Jesus as the word. What in the world does that have to do with things? Well, here's what we need to understand. John, who's writing the last gospel, is wanting to make the most universal appeal possible for everyone to understand the gospel. It's as if you or I were going to speak at an AA meeting and we wanted to relate to how they looked at God. We might say, a higher power did this. But John uses a word that's even broader than that. And and again, the word is the word. Now, how is that broad? It's a wonderful name. First of all, for a Jewish person, this was extremely significant because the word, word, would mean power. In the first chapter of the book of the Bible, Genesis, it says over and over, and God spoke, and then the light came. And God spoke, and there was land. And God spoke, and there were animals. What was it saying? God's word was powerful to create something from nothing. And so when a Jewish person heard this, he thinks this quotation, God spoke the world into existence. And if Jesus is that word, he is so powerful. But John knows the church is now no longer just a Jewish sect. It now has spread to Gentiles and Greeks. And so the word, word, for a Greek person would imply order. You probably recognize this word. In the Greek, it's the word logos. We get the word what? Logic, order. You see, the Greek people had always been trying to figure out what keeps this whole place together. Why can you count on the tides to ebb and flow at the right time? Why can you make a calendar out for the next hundred years and it'll be true? Why can you predict the four seasons consistently over and over again? What holds this together? And their idea was there was a logic, there was a reason, there was the logos that behind everything held everything together. And so John's saying to them, I want you to know, my friends, what you've always been looking for is Jesus. Not only did he create everything, he holds it all together. And then even for us, this far down from John's writing, I think to me the word has always implied to me to communicate. You know, a, a word It's the smallest vessel of speech. And when I think about someone using words, I think of someone explaining something. And John implies that in this passage where he said, the word became flesh, he became one of us. And then at the end of this passage, he says, he explained God. Some translation says, he made him known. And so even today, when we think about Jesus being the word, it implies power, it implies order, and implies God's communicating clearer than he ever has. Now go back with me to the first five verses. That's what we're covering this morning. The first five, these are, these are so powerful. Let me go a little bit slower and just let it sink into you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning through him All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that's been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So not only is it just a wonderful name, but it introduces us to a wonderful 
story. So wonderful, I don't think any man could have ever dreamed of it. John opens the curtain to the world before Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels, a world of eternity. So what does he first of all say about Jesus' preexistence? He says, first of all, the Word was God. Jesus is more than just a great teacher, a great philosopher. He's God. He implies lots of things in that first couple of verses. He was in the beginning. When time began, he was there. He wasn't from the beginning. He wasn't created there. He was there already. He was eternal. He was equal with God. The Word was God. And then he says this weird thing. He was with God. And it also says this Jesus, this Word, this power created the world and everything in it. Now, th- this can be sort of confusing. He was God, with God. How do you, let me, let me say this to you guys. Welcome to the wonder of the Trinity. How, how can anybody explain this, this biblical concept that God is three distinct people and yet he's one God? I, I don't know anyone who has just the perfect illustration. It is a, a wonderful thing. I've tried to look for analogies all week long, and none of them completely work. One of the most common is H2O, that it can appear as water, it can be made into steam, and it also can be frozen solid. That's nice. Another might be a person like me. I can be a father, I can be a husband, and I can be a son. I can do all three. But if you take those analogies very far, they really don't completely work. What we just must say is Scripture teaches there is one God, that you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but they are so united in love and purpose that it's if they're one. And you see it a couple times in the Bible how they play different roles. In the original creation story, it's God the Father who thinks of the story. It's Jesus, we just found out, who comes and creates. And then after that, it's the Spirit that comes and hovers over the earth to keep creation in order. And then when we get to the new creation, isn't it crazy here? Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the world. And then we get to John 1-1, he was in the beginning. Well, see guys, what John's trying to say is, this is a new creation. And the same thing happens. It's the Father's idea to send Jesus. Jesus comes and executes the plan. That's not a good word to use. Jesus comes and carries the plan out, right? And then what happens? What does he leave? After Jesus, he leaves the Spirit to guide us to the end of the world. And so you have these three distinct beings who are so united in purpose but are different. I love how one author put it. The child in the manger was the very one who put the stars in the sky, including the very star that led wise men from the east to worship him. So first of all, the word was God. Second, the word became a human being. Speaking of wonderful, speaking of unexpected, think of astonishing. Man, who would have ever thought of this? I wouldn't have. That God Almighty, the Creator, you know, guys, today we, we, we recognize in creation the best count we got is 10 trillion billion stars. The God who created everything shrinks into an embryo in a teenage girl. 
The one who made the world entered the world as a person. The one who created the world becomes a creature. You can't make this up. And John wants to know, you to know from the beginning of his gospel that who you're going to run into in story after story is not just any human being, not just any teacher, not just any rabbi. He is God in the flesh. The man who laughs so hard that the religious uptight leaders think he's drunk was God. The man who weeps so deeply at the tomb of his friend Lazarus has power over death. The man who gets so thirsty that he asks a Samaritan woman for a drink of water is the one who in the beginning put the molecules together of H2O. The one who embraces tax collectors, prostitutes, thieves, and sinners like you and I. He's the perfect son of God. You see, if you were walking down the street in the first century, and you and your friend were walking on one side of the street, and coming the other way on the other sidewalk was Jesus, you could nudge your friend and say, there walks God. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what makes God mad? Look at Jesus. You want to make God sad? Look at Jesus. You want to make God laugh? Look at Jesus. You want to make what makes God fired up? Look at Jesus. He is the exact representation of God. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life, I've had a hard time of making sense of who God is. Even reading the divine-inspired Old Testament. Some, some pages I think, wow, he's so wonderful and gracious. And other pages I shake my head like, how in the world did he do that to innocent people? And it's not until we get to Jesus that we see completely how it all fits together. He is full of grace and truth. And so um, let's make another point as we're going through here. The Word, what does he do? The Word communicates God's power to bring order out of the chaos of our lives. Put all those three meanings back from the word logos. Jesus reveals that God has the power, he cares enough, to bring order again out of chaos of our lives. That's pretty powerful. God, God listen to me. Jesus brought order out of history. Before Jesus, you calculated time by the reign of a king. You would say, this happened in the 10th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes. But after Jesus, listen, time is calculated and divided between before Jesus comes and after he comes. And this is true whether you're Jewish, Buddhist, Hindu, atheist, or Christian. We all keep our time through Jesus. He ordered history, but more importantly for you and I on this Sunday morning, he came to order my life. Jesus walks into a world where people are just messed up on every hand. The sinners are deep in sin and all screwed up, and the religious people are deep in legalism and all screwed up, and everything's a mess. And Jesus comes and says, guys, this is the way it was supposed to be from the beginning. And in our day, we look around our world, and it's a mess, guys. We look around our country, and we think, how in the world did we get to this place? One of the ways we got there, if I can be honest with you, is we, we traded in truth for feelings. And there was a time where we believed in right and wrong, and, and what was right and wrong was given by God. And then, in our culture today, if you really want to look at it deeply, what regulates our lives is feelings. 
If I feel a certain way, that's who I am. If I feel a certain way, I will not be true to myself if I don't act on it. And guys, we are in a big mess because we're all at the whim of our emotions and our passions, and we've been told by our world that we must act on them, and it's got us in a big, big mess. And Jesus comes to say, that's not the way it is. Listen to me, guys. Not only did Jesus come to save us, please pay attention to this. He came to show us what he's showing us. He came to show us how you're supposed to live. I think about the, the, all the baptisms we've had recently. Man, I love the way we celebrated baptisms, just like the angels in heaven. I think about how at that moment you can be assured of the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit and all those good things. But, it, but if we're not careful, we just celebrate that moment. Is, is that's the only reason Jesus came is to make me lost from saved, go to heaven, not hell, no, no, that, that, that's part of it. But Jesus didn't just come to save you. He came to show you and me how to live. He came to bring chaos out of our life. If you want to know how to handle your emotions, he'll tell you. If you want to know what's right and wrong, what will bless you and what will mess you up in the long run, he will tell you. If you want to know the character by which you should live by, just look at him. He knows what he's saying. And my friends, as long as you live in rebellion to him, you're going to keep on going down some roads that are going to be dead ends. And in our world, one of the crazy things you do is like, I'm just going to try everything and just see if that, I'm, I'm telling you, you'll try the rest of your life and it won't work until you finally follow Jesus. Amen. Because what Jesus does absolutely works. I read this story this week. There was a man who was driving down the road in an old car, wasn't running very good, finally just stopped. And so the guy gets out, and he's trying to tinker with the engine, and he can't get anything going, and it won't crank. And then, to his surprise, a car drove beside him and parked in front of him. It was a, a limousine. And, and the driver of the limousine got out of his door and went to the back door and opened the door to a very distinguished man who walked out. He was actually in a tux going to a banquet. And this distinguished man asked the man with the car on the side of the road, can I, can I look at your engine? And the guy begs him not to, but he won't be dissuaded. So he goes over, he looks at the engines, he tightens a few things, he plugs a few things in better, and then he walks away and says, crank it. And the guy cranks it, and his car cranks up perfectly. Well, the guy's going back to his limousine, and the man's going back into his car. And one more thing, the man said, by the way, to the man in the back of the limousine, who are you? And the man said, Henry Ford. He had created that automobile. He knew what would make it work. Now, I know that's a simple, silly illustration, but listen to me, my friends. It is God, Jesus, the Word, who created you. And if you'd let him tinker with your engine, he'll get it right. He'll get it right. Man, um, he'll bring order to your chaos. I know there's some folks in this room right now. Your life's in chaos. And actually, Christmas makes you feel even more chaotic. And that's why we got to slow down enough, guys, to recapture the wonder. Now, there are two words John introduces us here that he'll use the rest of the book. They're the word light and the word life. Now, we'll talk about this more in the next few weeks. Light is such a powerful idea. 
I mean, if I could invite you up here at midnight and we had all the windows closed, and it was pitch black dark, the moon's not out, and, and we could be here, and I could take a little birthday candle in the middle of this room and light it, it would span the whole world, the whole room. And, and Jesus says, this light puts out the darkness. And he says, the light is so much powerful than the darkness, the darkness cannot extinguish it. So that's one word we're going to see a lot. That's the theme. And I want to tell you this, this morning is that, that Jesus wants to bring some light into your life. Now, many of us say we're scared of the dark. My, 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 my opinion is most of us are more scared of the light because the light exposes me. If I come into the light of Jesus' presence, it's going to expose what's not right with me. And some of us aren't courageous enough to do that. But he, he not only wants to expose what's wrong and guide you to what's right, Here's what he says. This is a key word in the book of John. He wants to bring you life. At the very end of this book, in John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, these things are written that you might believe, and that believing you might have life in his name. Look look at your choices while we conclude here. Look at John chapter 10, verse 10. Here's he says, on one side, you got Satan. The thief comes to what? Still kill and destroy. What Jesus do? I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Guys, that's our choices. There are only two choices. Either you can continue to live in darkness, and while you're in darkness, Satan will steal everything you've got without you even knowing it. Or you can choose to live in the light and the life of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, one translation says, I can make your life fuller than anything you can ever use. Jesus hadn't come to steal your joy. He's come to make you full. I'm here to tell you this morning, he is powerful. He is wonderful. He will make your life full. So here it goes. It all begins when you catch the wonder. I'm afraid many of us that are older, we've lost the wonder. That's what we love about children on Christmas. There's nothing like seeing a kid come down the stairs, go unwrap a gift, and just the glow on their face. That's why we love so much about being a part of Meredith Foundation today, because we're going to bring some wonder into the eyes of children who wouldn't have Christmas if we didn't give. And yet some of us as adults, we've lost not just the wonder of, of the, this season, we've lost the wonder of Jesus. And, and, and I know for some of us, we don't even like that term. It's the most wonderful time of the year we think, oh no, it's where we spend too much, it's where we eat too much, it's where we cook too much, we travel too much, we clean too much. It doesn't sound very inviting. I know some of you dread this season. Let me tell you, you do not have to dread this season if you will re-catch the wonder of the word of Jesus. Listen to this quotation from a Christmas card. The Lord did not become a philosophy to be discovered, a theory to be debated, or a concept to be pondered. The word became a person to be followed, enjoyed, and loved. So this morning, if your life is out of order, if somehow you're dreading everything about this season, If this morning you have not been following Jesus, and yet today you go, man, he is the light of the world. He is is the life. You know, don't be like the 
the lady who was um, trying to help her son with the Christmas play, and he had one line in the play, and his only line was, from Jesus, I am the light of the world. But he couldn't memorize it, and so the mother decided to sit right here on the front row. And so when it got to his part, again, he, he froze. And so the mother whispered to him, I am the light of the world. And the son said, my mother is the light of the world. I'm telling you, you're not the light of the world. I'm not the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And we would be very smart if we would start following him. We need to pray for you today. If you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?